The scripture reading tonight comes from Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Please be seated. Well, good evening. This morning, we had a 21-year-old young man preach a good sermon to us, a, fab, a fabulous sermon, and I know that you were encouraged by it. Well, tonight, we're going to have the same thing. Although Matthew needs no uh, introduction, I thought I would in case we had some visitors. Matthew Liskey is one of our homegrown boys right here in this congregation. He was here since, I think, the fourth grade, and uh, Matthew's 21. He's going to UT, and he's uh, uh, getting a degree in finances. And, but he has a knack and a flair for teaching the gospel and preaching, and uh, we've heard him before and looking forward to hearing him tonight preach the word, brother. Well, good evening. I am certainly have the honor of uh, being here this night and speaking to y'all, and I'd like to thank uh, Doug and Phil for allowing me the opportunity to come up here and preach the Word of God to all of you here tonight. So tonight's lesson, what I want to look at, is I want to look at measures or characteristics of a strong church. So before we get too deep in what these measures or characteristics of a church are, first we need to describe what the word church actually means. So, according to the dictionary, when I looked it up, Merriam-Webster says the word church means a building for public and especially Christian worship. Now, this is not a bad definition, and this is not necessarily a wrong definition, but I want us to think a little bit more spiritual about what the word church means. As we know, the original word for church is ecclesia, and this word means the called out. Now, this is a much better definition. This is more of a spiritual definition of what we are looking for when we talk about the word church. But let's also look at what the Bible has to say for the definition of the word church. First, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, excuse me. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though one, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Here we see that Paul is telling the Corinthian people that the church is made up of people. It's not a physical building, it's not a physical place, but that the, church is physic- that the church is people. Also, in the scripture reading tonight, we see in Hebrews 10.25, it talks about um, us meeting together as fellow Christians. It talks about as people, we need to build each other up. And so when we meet together, we know that is the coming together as the church. And as people building each other up, we make up the body of Christ. So if you just went out into the world and asked anybody what their definition of the word church is or what characteristics of the word church what are some characteristics of the word church? Here are some of the things I think they might say. 
Some people might think the church is a physical building. It could be the location, like where it is in town. I know anytime someone asks me where I go to church, I say I go to Broadway Church of Christ, and normally their follow-up question is immediately, well, where is that located? And I say, well, it's right by the academy down on Broadway off of Cumberland Avenue. But as I said, this is more a physical description for the physical building of the church. Again, another physical characteristic is the building itself. It could be, well, how big is your building? What type of amenities does it have? You know, how fancy does it look on the outside? But like I said, let's think a bit more spiritual about the word church. Some of the spiritual characteristics of the word church could be the quality of the people, the quality of how they worship, and the quality of their leadership. These three things are more along the lines of what I want us to think about tonight as we define the word church. So tonight, we're going to look at four characteristics or measures of a strong church. The first one is a church functions like a body, a church loves like a family, a church praises like a temple, and a church is as pure as a bride. So starting off, first, I'm going to look at how does a church function like a body. Our physical bodies that we have here are an amazing thing. Our brains tell us exactly what to do, and immediately, within milliseconds, our body reacts and does that thing. Our heart pumps blood to all of our extremities, our arms and our legs, and it gives us life for us to live. Our arms help us pick up and carry things, and our legs help us move and run. Now, not even getting into the small things like cells, organs, and tissues and all that, we know that each one of these things in our body has a very specific purpose, and this specific purpose helps the body function properly. So let's see what Paul has to say about the church and comparing it to our physical body. And staying in 1 Corinthians 12, let's look down at verse 27. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Like we see in verses 12 through 14, we as people make up this body of Christ. Now Paul here is not talking about Christ's physical body, he's talking about his spiritual body. And this spiritual body is how we are able to worship God in spirit and in truth. So we must ask ourselves, what makes up the spiritual body of Christ? Like I said a couple minutes ago, it is people. And just like our physical bodies, each person has a role that they need to fulfill in church so that the body functions properly. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy and proportion in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Here's a list of characteristics that we as Christians need to have so that we can glorify Christ in our daily lives. All of us here this evening have talents that we can use to further the kingdom of God. In Matthew 25, 14 through 20, Jesus is teaching a parable, and he's talking about how each person has been given specific things 
that they need and they can do to further the kingdom. And in a little bit, we will look at what these men did with the talents given unto them. As I said, we all have a purpose in the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 14 through 20, we see that each person has a purpose. We see here that Paul, talking about our physical body, says the foot can't say to the hand, since I'm not a hand, I will not work. And the hand can't say to the foot, since I'm not a foot, I will not do my job. And also, if we look at the end of that 1 Corinthians 12 passage, we can see in 1 Corinthians 12, at the end it says, it says, I can't remember where it says it, but somewhere it says, there we go, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 18, it says, but as God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. Here we see God has arranged all of us together, and he has put us in the right place to do a specific job. As we see in 1 Corinthians 12 and 29, it says not all of us have the same function, but each one of our talents need to, need to complement each other to benefit Christ. Some of these talents could be pulpit, pulpit preaching versus individual teaching. Not all of us here can get up and preach from a pulpit, but that is completely fine. You might be a very good individual teacher. You might be able to sit down one-on-one with someone and preach to them the gospel, which is just as good as pulpit teaching. Or singing or visiting. Now, talking especially about myself, I know I can't get up here and lead singing on beat, on cue, but that's okay because maybe you're a great visitor. You can go out to some of the older people in the congregation, visit with them, and sit with them for hours and just talk about them and help them in their daily lives. But the real question when talking about these abilities is this. Are we using our talents? Are we using our abilities to serve God for the greater good? Like I mentioned a couple minutes ago in the parable of the talents, in Matthew 25, there's three men. There's the five-talent man, the two-talent man, and the one-talent man. Now the five-talent man goes out and he doubles his talents, and the master says unto him, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. Two-talent man does the same thing, goes out, doubles his, doubles his talents into four, and again, he says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward. Then we come down to the one-talent man. Comes to the one-talent man, he says, well, what did you do with your talent? He goes, I buried it. I was afraid to use it, and I didn't want to use it. And he says, cursed are ye. I don't remember the exact phrase, but he basically curses him and tells him, into eternal punishment, I will cast you into. So, like I said, we need to ask ourselves, are we using our talents? If we look at Ephesians 4, uh, verses 15 and 16, it will tell us what we should be doing and how we should be using these talents to benefit Christ. It's Ephesians 4, verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, excuse me, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. We see here by working properly, we hold the body together. Now, we do not want to be the reason that the body falls apart and does not work together properly. So we need to remember, whatever our talent is, whatever ability God has given us, we need to use it for his glorification. So, we have looked at how the body is made up of people. Each one of these people has a talent that needs to be used, and so we see 
now that as a whole body, we need to love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So secondly, I want to talk about a, bo- <clears throat> a strong church loves like a family. We've seen how the church is made up of many members and many different people, and these members all need to be seen as a family in our eyes. Let's turn to 1 Timothy 3, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15. Let's actually start in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. If this church, as we see, is a household of God, how should we regard the members of this household? Well, let's just flip two chapters over in the 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, to see how we should regard these members of the church. 1 Timothy 5, verse 1 says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. We see here, we need to regard all of our fellow Christians as our own family. We need to love them the same way we would our physical family, our physical sisters, our physical mother, and our physical father. This love for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ allows us to be unified in spirit, and it allows us to help one another in a manner pleasing a God, which comes from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. Without this love and without this unity, we would be separated from Christ. So ask, so ask yourselves, how are we to be a strong family? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10 to find out how a strong family acts towards one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. With these traits in mind here, we see that a strong family has concern, care, and love for one another. With all these three traits in mind, we need to remember to check up on our fellow Christians. Matthew 25, 40, Jesus is teaching to people, and he says, you know, uh, he talks about, you know, when you're in prison, you you've came and visited me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was hungry, you fed me. And the people come up to him and say, Lord, we've never seen you thirsty, never seen you hungry, or never seen you in prison. But Jesus makes a key point, and he says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do unto me. We see here that when checking up on our fellow Christians, when we are helping them, we are showing Christ's love in our good deeds. Just like we would help our physical families if a family member called you, I'm sure you would go and help them if they were in need. We too need to help our fellow brothers and sisters if they ever call us and they need help from us. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse number 27. It's James chapter 1 and verse 27. 
Now the religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. This verse here only mentions widows, excuse me, widows and orphans, but we also need to check up on all those who are less fortunate than us, whether that be in the body of Christ or someone that we know in need. Many people around us have needs, and if we have a loving mindset, we can help them in their hour of need. And, this, and by doing this, we'll definitely uplift, uplift their spirits and help them go on about their day. So now that we have seen the church is a body, and it is made up of people with talents, and we see that these people who are in the body need to love like a family and use those talents to help those who are in need. So with these in mind, another trait of a strong church is that a church praises like a temple. Before this New Testament came around and this new way of living came about, there were two ways for the people of God to worship him. The Old Testament Jews had a tent of holy meeting which housed the Ark of the Covenant, and eventually Solomon built a temple to praise God in. But remember, These places where the people went to worship God were only for the most holy people. They were for the priests, the Levites, and the high priest. And we see that in the Old Testament, this was God's way for the people to worship him back then. So we ask ourselves, what is God's plan for us now for us to worship him? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We see here when the people of old in Israel worshipped in the temple, we see now that God calls us, excuse me, us, the church, his temple today. In Matthew 27, 51, when Jesus finally gave up his spirit, we see that the temple, excuse me, the curtain in the temple tore in two. Now this was symbolic. This meant that now everyone was able to go and worship God. It was the starting of a new era No more would only the priest, no more would only the high priest or the Levites only be the ones to go and worship God in the ark or in the temple. Now everyone was allowed to go and worship God in spirit and in truth. And we see that according to 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, we are now this temple of God. So I ask you, how do we praise God? Well, first let's turn to Hebrews 13, 15 and 16 to see how we praise God. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share, and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing unto God. We see here, we, by always doing good, we continually praise God with our works. And also, according to John 4 and 24, God is spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So, we ask ourselves, if we have to worship God in spirit and in truth, how do we worship God correctly? 
in the Bible, there are five acts of worship that we need to do every time. Uh, there are five acts we need to do when we meet together to be pleasing and worship God correctly. We need to sing. We need to preach. We need to partake of the Lord's Supper. We need to give back. And we need to pray. Now, two of these things we only do on the first day of the week, and that is the Lord's Supper and giving back. And I will talk about those in a minute. But first on my list is sing. Now, there's no particular order in the Bible that you need to go about these acts in. We just need to remember that when we are worshiping God, we need to have these acts present to be pleasing in his sight. So the first one I have on my list is we need to sing. And that comes from Ephesians 5, verse 19. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 19. I'm going to start in the second half of Ephesians 5 and verse 18. It says, But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we see here, when we sing, we are singing with our hearts, we are making melody unto God. And I think one of the things that... Uh, Brandon and Jonathan do very well before they partake of the Lord's Supper is sometimes they'll break down a song and they talk about the words of the song and they talk about the meaning of the song. And I think this is very good because we need to remember when we are singing, we're not just saying words or making a nice tune. We need to remember that we need to think about the words of the song. When you think about what the song's saying, think about what the meaning is and think about how it applies to us today in our lives. The second act of worship we need to go through is we need to preach and we need to teach the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul sends Timothy to the Corinthians and he tells them, I send you, Timothy, to preach to you in the church. We see that we need to hear the Word every time we meet because this is one of the most important things that we do. By preaching and teaching the Word, we can all gain a better understanding of what God wants us to do in our lives and by doing this, we know more and we can teach other people more and maybe convert them into Christ with our knowledge of the Bible. Another act of worship that we partake in is in the Lord's Supper. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, Paul and the people and the Christians of Troas partook in the breaking of the bread. We know here that this breaking of the bread means that this is the Lord's Supper that they partook in and as stated there, just as we do every first day of the week, we partake the Lord's Supper to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Another act we need to do is pray. And let's turn to Acts 12 and verse 15 to read about prayer. It's Acts chapter 12 and verse number, excuse me, Acts 12 and 5. It's Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church met together, we see here in this passage in Acts, they prayed for Peter while he was in prison. In the same way, when we get up here and we pray in church, we need to be sincere and reverent. We need to remember that by praying, this is our time to talk to God. This is our time to thank him for being our creator 
and thank him for sending his son down to the earth to save us. And it's also our time to, you know, ask him for things that we need. And see here, when, if we are sincere and we are reverent when we pray, we need to remember to do this so that we are not violating this way of communication God has given us unto him. And finally, the last act of worship that we partake in is giving back. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, it instructs us on how we should give back. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul commands Galatia and the church at Corinth to give back what they have prospered. And I forget the verse, but it says somewhere uh, about a cheerful giver. And we see that whenever we give back, we need to give back a portion of what God has given us. All of these physical blessings we have, all of these things would not be possible without God letting us have them. And so whenever we give back, we're giving back what he has given us, and those funds are then used to distribute to the, are distributed to the church, and they're able to be used to further the word of God throughout the world. To worship God in spirit and truth, like John 4 and 24 tells us, we need to partake in these acts of worship. And if we are not partaking in these acts of worship, then we are not worshiping God correctly at all whenever we meet together. So we have seen that the church is made up of people. All these people have talents. All of us need to love one another, like our own families. And that we gather together weekly to worship God. So finally, the last characteristic a strong church has is it is full of pure people. As a Christian, as children of God, we are called to be different than everyone else in this world. So I ask you, how are we to distinguish ourselves from these people of the world? Let's turn to Acts chapter 22 and verse number 16. It's Acts chapter 22, verse number 16. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Our first step to being pure and being different from this world is we need to be saved. And we see here from Acts 22 and 16, the way we are saved is through baptism, which washes away the sins that we have against God. We see that also to remain pure, we need righteous acts. In Matthew 6, Verses 1 through 4, Jesus tells us to not do good things just for our benefit, that we need to do good things to other people for the benefit of others and for the benefit of spreading the love of Christ around to other people. There are two areas in our life this evening that I don't want to talk about that we need to be pure in. The first area we need to be pure in is when we come together and worship God, and the second area in our lives we need to be pure in is when we're out and about among the world. So first, let's look at how can we be pure in worship. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's Romans 12, verses 1 and verse 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship, 
not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we come into the presence of God, we need to have the right mindset about us. We don't need to come to church every Sunday and just think, well, I did it. I came here from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock, and now I'm done. That's all I need to do, just sit in a pew here for an hour and then leave. That is not the right mindset we need to have when we come to church. When we come here to church, we need to want to be there. We need to want to sit in these pews. We need to want to sing the songs. We need to want to learn more about God's Word. We need to be here and, pure, and pour our hearts out unto Him. Don't need to sit here and act like we don't care. This is our time every week. We come together here, and this is our time to worship and praise the Creator of this world and our Savior. Colossians 3 and verse 2 tells us, Do not think on things of this earth. There's a time and there's a place to think of things in this world. And when we come together and worship, that is not the time for us to do that. And this is one of the most important things we need to do. When we come before the throne of God in worship, we need to be pure. We need to think on God. We need to pour our hearts unto Him. And we need to praise Him for allowing us not only to be here on this earth, but sending His Son and allowing us to be able to come together and worship Him as holy. The second act second act in our lives that we need to be pure in is we need to be pure in the world. A couple weeks ago in our college class, an interesting question was brought up. I think Scott asked it, but he said, you know, if you had three words to describe yourselves, where would the word Christian be ranked? Would it be ranked first? Would it be ranked second? Third? Or would it even make your list the top three things to describe you as a person? I want to change the wording of this question a little bit to more fit the question here. I ask you, if you asked one of your friends in the world who wasn't a member of the church to describe you, how many words would it take them before they came up with Christian to describe your characteristics? Would it take them three, five, ten? Or maybe they couldn't. Maybe when you go out into the world, you forget about God and you forget about Christ, and people don't know that you are a Christian. If we're just holy in church, but not in the world, it's all for naught. Matthew 10, let's look at Matthew 10 and verse 33. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 33. Let's actually start in Matthew 10 and verse number 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whatever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. We see from these two verses, if we're not living the Christian life, we're no different than those people that go out into the world and deny Jesus. We need to remember that going out into the world should not change how we act. We should act the same when we come together as Christians, as we do out in the world, so people can tell that we are different and ask us maybe why we're different, and that can give us an open door to then preach the Word of God unto them. Some good characteristics for us to have when we go out into the world are mentioned in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 3. It's 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. 
Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, husband, one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, excuse me, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. And then, if you look down in 1 Timothy 3, verse 7, it tells us, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so he may, may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Sometimes when we read this passage, we think we get caught up in the fact that, well, these are only good characteristics for elders to have. There's no reason why I should act like this. Well, I ask you to reread this list. All these characteristics, all the way from verse 1, all the way through to verse uh, 13, even when it talks about deacons, these are all great characteristics for every Christian to want to have. And I want us now to think about ourselves. Think about your life outside of the church. Are you willing to help those in need and sit down and teach someone when the opportunity arises? James chapter 2, verse number 17 tells us, So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We can say, we have faith all day. We can say, I have faith. I'm good. But if we don't live that life and we don't show it, that faith that we have is useless. So I want us to really remember that when we go out into the world, do not change the way you act. Act the same way as you would in church. Be like the list in 1 Timothy mentions, respectable, and make sure that we are well thought of by outsiders so that no one can call our faith into question. So, to conclude tonight's lesson, we looked at four points. We looked at a strong church functions like a body, or each person has a role. We looked at a strong church loves each other like a family. Everyone has to love their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We looked at a strong church praises like a temple. We have to worship God correctly or else we are in the wrong. And finally, we looked at purity. Are we holy in God's sight? Are we pure in church and are we pure in the world? There's an old adage that I'm sure everyone here tonight has heard of. You've heard the term, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Or if you play sports, you can change it to, a team is only as strong as its weakest player. Or for those in the military, I'm sure you've heard, a unit is only as strong as its weakest member. This also is very true when it comes to the church of God. If we only have a few strong people and a bunch of weak people in the church, the church will fail. Let's look at James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, and this will be the final passage we look at tonight. Again, that's James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Here we see there are going to be points in our life when we might have to go and talk to a fellow brother or a fellow sister in Christ who has fallen away, and we might need to bring them back from the sin in their lives that they have been, they've been partaking in. Now, I want to tell all of you today, if uh, later on in my life, if I end up like these people and falling away, to reference one of my favorite shows, I want you to gib slap me in the back of the head. Just take your hand, smack me as hard as you can in the back of the head, and tell me, wake up, you know, what are you doing? I want you to 
you know, knock some sense back into me. But we see here that as we might have to correct and help out weaker people before they fall away, not only for their own good, but we also need to do this before they lead other people astray. And by doing this, we will save their soul from death. So, for my final thoughts tonight, I want all of you here this evening to ask yourselves what you are doing to help your home congregation, especially this one here at Broadway, be strong. Are you a participant or are you not? Are you coming here to church every time we meet? Are you pouring out your hearts unto God? Are you really, you know, treasuring this opportunity we have to be before our Lord and Savior? Or are we not? Are we just here to sit in the pew for an hour and then go home and not remember anything about church for the rest of the week? I want you to ask, are you a strong chain pulling the weight of this congregation? Are you the weak link? Are you the weak link that's going to break the chain and that's going to cause the church to fail by you falling away and maybe taking other people with you in your faults? If you are not a Christian here tonight, you've just heard what this church is all about. I want you to ask yourselves, do you want to be part of this called out people and follow the will of God? Like I said, tonight you have heard the word in accordance to Romans 10 and verse 17. Now the responsibility falls unto you. Will you believe the word that we have learned about tonight? Will you see sin in your lives and repent? Acts 17 Verse 30 and 31, in times past, God overlooked ignorance, but now calls all men everywhere to repent. We see now, have to repent to be saved. You can't just believe the word and that be it. We see we have to repent of our sins. You have heard, have you believed the word? Will you see sin and repent? And after this, we confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of the living God. Also, Will you be baptized? First Peter three twenty one and twenty two. Baptism is not a removal of dirt from the body, but a cleansing of our sins. And also, after you are baptized, will you stay faithful? As Revelation two verse ten tells us, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I ask that if anybody has any need at this time, whether to be confessing sins in your life that you need to repent of or whether you need to follow this plan of salvation I laid out for you to be saved. I ask that you do that now as we come forward and stand and as we sing. Jesus is